in this episode of the Live Damn Well podcast. Something like gratitude, which allows for, especially when we're talking about social bonding, uh, gratitude for another person that's right in front of you can release oxytocin. And that's something that strengthens social bonds. The thing is, we get so caught up nowadays thinking that something has to be randomized, something has to be placebo controlled in order to actually give you what you're looking for, in order to be valid. And I think we discredit the sheer quantity of years that went into formulating these traditions. Thousands of years, I think, at least partially, in some ways, maybe not trump those new randomized control trials, placebo control trials that we have now, but at least it gives us a little bit of insight and it should make us say, why did they do this for so long? You know, how did they find meaning in such a thing? And how did that meaning actually lead them to live healthier lives? My name is Jorge Roman, author of Return to Human, certified health coach in training, a metabolically flexible individual and insulin sensitive human. Now in this podcast, I will relentlessly ask, why is there so much conflicting information about health, nutrition, and lifestyle recommendations? Is there more to the story? Or are those individuals involved with natural and alternative health just a bunch of pseudoscientific quacks? I will often have solo episodes discussing relevant scientific research around nutrition, supplementation, powerful lifestyle practices, and I'll occasionally plug my health coaching programs shamelessly. I'll also be interviewing thought leaders from all walks of life in an attempt to discover what truly makes someone healthy. I will do this with no agendas, no ideology, no closed-mindedness, no BS, just truth. Regardless of the fact that I will inevitably trigger and anger some narrow-minded and myopic individuals. To live damn well doesn't mean living life perfectly. We're all going to die someday, so striving for ultimate health is a pretty counterproductive goal. Rather, I hope to learn for myself and empower others to fulfill their life's purpose and enjoy all life has to offer, all while being disease-free, energetic, and in control of their biology. Learning to take responsibility for yourself, staying true to your deepest commitments, and enjoying life to the fullest is what Live Damn Well is all about. I believe humanity already has all of the tools to create a life which is disease-free, joyful, and highly fulfilling. Now, we just need to do the hardest part, cutting through the divisive, arrogant, closed-minded bullshit which holds us all back from creating the world we deeply desire. Thank you for joining me on this journey, and I hope to serve you on yours. Since it's getting closer and closer to Turkey Day, I decided that it would be very relevant to discuss gratitude. In this episode, two of my health conscious friends and myself discuss all things gratitude. Now in the world of biohacking, supplementation, nutrition, and health and wellness communities and circles in general, the spiritual side, the mental side is often kind of dismissed. And I think it is just as important, if not really more important than physical health. Now, what I mean by that is if you don't have something to live for, if you don't enjoy life, 
if your mindset is always, you know, meaninglessness and you don't find joy in doing simple things and being with people and reading a book and being outdoors, then no matter how healthy you are, it doesn't really matter. And I was in that space very, very recently. And no matter how many supplements you take, no matter what diet you're on, if that mindset doesn't change, nothing will change. And you will continue to feel empty and meaningless. And, you know, it won't really matter how healthy you are. To be healthy serves a purpose. And that's kind of something that we get into in this episode. Because gratitude really seems very simple. And it is. And the thing is, you can weave it into your life very, very easily with just a few minutes every day. And it has profound impacts, not just at the mental and emotional level. It has impacts at the social level with how you interact with people, your relationships, how your genes are actually expressed, which is something that we get into via certain hormones and neuropeptides like oxytocin, for example. So the thing is, we can't separate mental and physical health. That is very difficult to do, and it may not even be that useful. But what I'm getting at is maybe having reverence is what we're supposed to do. Maybe being respectful and being grateful for the things that we have is just conducive to health. And I think it's a pretty big piece in being fulfilled. So hopefully, as we get closer and closer to Thanksgiving, you can pick up a few practices that we give here that are simple. And I know that sometimes it's difficult to actually feel the feelings of gratefulness instead of just kind of saying them and going through the motions of what gratitude should be. So we made it really simple. And towards the end, we give very, very easy tips that have worked for us, things that haven't worked and how to more easily and more authentically get into that mental space and emotional space of gratitude. So I hope you enjoy and thank you for listening. So today in honor of Thanksgiving, we're going to talk about gratitude. So first I went on to our trusty friends at Wikipedia to define gratitude. And I found a very loaded definition of gratitude, which goes like this. Gratitude, thankfulness, or gratefulness, from the Latin word gratis, pleasing or thankful, is a feeling of appreciation felt by and slash or similar positive response shown by the recipient of kindness, gifts, help, favors, or other types of generosity towards the giver of such gifts. Wow, doesn't that just warm your soul? Yes, it does. So in order to put gratitude into context, we're going to talk about the historical importance of gratitude. So how it's really made its way into tradition even now for probably hundreds, if not thousands of years from religions and, you know, other traditions. Right. So gratitude doesn't just, it's not just getting a gift and saying, oh, Thank you for that gift. You know, it has roots throughout human history, stemming from, you know, many of the major and uh, well-known religions. 
So, for example, in Judaism, many scriptures have accounts of encouraging gratitude. Praise be to the Lord. And in Christianity, you know, many people before dinner sit down and they'll bless the food before they eat. And in Islam, there's the same similar phrase, praise be to Allah. And like, uh, yeah, like I know, not in ma my family really anymore. It's not that common of a practice, but, uh, oh, we lost Ben. But uh, so what I was going to say is a very common practice that's done in a lot of religions and something my family used to do um, is just, you know, do like a prayer before meals. Um, and actually in, in my grandma's house, there was this kind of looked like a napkin holder that you put in the, in the middle of, of the, of the dining room table. And you would, it, it was like full with like at least a hundred different cards and you would pick one before a meal. And it would be like a prayer, um, a specific prayer before that you would say before the meal and before anyone would eat. Um, and so I know that that's something that's, that's super common. And, you know, sometimes we, since, since science has really taken off, uh, I think we kind of in, in recent years have started to like discredit that and be like, oh, you know, like it's just gratitude and we've taken the meaning away from it and the subjective feelings that it gives you of gratitude, which also can be measured objectively in science. And that's part of what we're going to talk about today. But I think it's important not to discount something as, you know, too spiritual or far out to actually be useful because as we're finding out now, gratitude is incredibly useful. And, and gratitude was a, something that just had so many physiological benefits, you know, social benefits from, you know, increasing relationship bonds with somebody and, and beyond that. Right. And so whether you think uh, gratitude or, or whether you think religion is comes from a divine spirit or is a, is socially constructed, the, the fact remains that like, what we know about gratitude is that it has a measurable effect on humans. Given what we know about gratitude and what we know about religion, being grateful brings people closer together and increases feelings of support for and of one another. And whether you believe that it was socially constructed or divine, either way, incorporating gratitude into your organization or your religion is going to offer a benefit. So that's why, that's why we see its presence throughout many religions. Right. It's like, yeah, go ahead, Luis. And I think people need to understand the fact that even though they might think that a religion is wishy-washy or not, they've been around for thousands of years. And just the fact that they've been around for so, for so long means that they probably have picked up a thing or two on how to live life and how to live life properly. Just adding to your point, Ben. Yeah, see, like the thing is, we get so caught up nowadays thinking that something has to be randomized, something has to be placebo controlled in order to actually give you what you're looking for, in order to be valid. And I think we discredit the sheer quantity of years that went into formulating these traditions. Thousands of years, I think, at least partially, in some ways, can trump those new randomized control trials, placebo control trials that we have now. 
and maybe not Trump, but at least it gives us a little bit of insight and it should make us say, why did they do this for so long? You know, how did they find meaning in such a thing? And how did that meaning actually lead them to live healthier lives? Because I have, I have an idea to write another book or at least an article, and I'm still kind of playing with this idea. But the fact is that um, a lot of scientific research has kind of made us pretty nihilistic. So, you know, things are meaningless, right? And that's a trap that I started falling into when I started looking into a lot of the research because there's this facade of scientific certainty that's going around. And especially now we see that too, right? Like we think, oh, we know exactly how a plant goes through photosynthesis. Like it's not a mystery anymore. Therefore, it's not like, you know, you don't appreciate it as you used to anymore because that mystery aspect is gone. And so I think that's a complete facade. I think that we really have, we, we know so, so little. Like people say that and, and you're like, yeah, okay, but like we got a man to the moon, right? I'm like, yeah, sure. But, you know, I think it's something around, like correct me if I'm wrong, like 90% of everything is dark matter, which we just said is, eh, we don't know what it does, right? That's per- That's profound. Yeah, exactly. And another point is that I heard this in a class when I was in biology. I heard this in my biology class. And my professor said that science is not meant to answer questions. Science is meant to get you to think about other questions that you need to ask. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. That's um, a direct quote from my biology professor. Yes. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I think that'd be a great topic for a future podcast to do on nihilism, scientism, ancient wisdom, religion, archetypes, stuff like that. You know, totally. don't want to rattle too much because we want to stay focused on gratitude, but that, yeah, no, totally. I'm right with you there, Jorge. Yeah. You shoot, shoot. You know, I'm, you know, I'm right there with you. Yeah, dude. It's something we've, we've talked about. We've talked about a lot like us three. Um, so in order to not rabbit hole so much, then, uh, let's get into like some of the physiological benefits. So first thing I found when I was scouring the depths of PubMed was, um, some positive effects on the immune system. There's actually a, there's a new field that's emerging that's called, uh, effective neuroimmunology or effective immunology. And so basically it's just like, how your emotions like affect how your emotions affect that was uh so affect and affect right how your emotions affect your immune system and how uh, your immune system can function so one pretty big meta-analysis that was done in 2014 that i found showed a significant relationship between what's known as the big five personality traits and psychology So you got openness, extroversion, agreeableness, conscientiousness, neuroticism, and how it relates to immune function. And so specifically, they found that higher conscientiousness, so like, you know, doing things in a very careful manner, um, you know, like kind of like a sort of, I guess, even a sort of respect for things and like the way that they they should be done properly um, was associated with lower CRP and CRP C-reactive protein being a common biomarker used to measure inflammation in the body. 
And so CRP is higher in people with inflammatory conditions such as obesity, autoimmune disease, and pretty much all other inflammatory conditions as well. So I thought that this kind of related to gratitude because although conscientiousness, yeah, it isn't exactly gratitude, it's a trait, but I think I think it can tie into gratitude. I don't know, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, so I was, um, I, the way I see conscientiousness is as like a awareness of self and not necessarily only of self, but also uh, of how your actions, uh, how you look doing your actions and how you appear to others and also how your actions will affect others. So, and I found through scouring PubMed that um, a those who practice gratitude have a stronger awareness of themselves. Yes. Yeah, and how I see it actually is that conscientiousness, when I think of conscientiousness, I think of reverence. And when I think of reverence, I think of it coming, I think of it stemming directly from gratitude. Because how do I put this? If there's no way you can be reverent to something without having gratitude for it. For example, if you're in church, why would you be reverent in church if you're not grateful for God, Jesus, whoever you worship, etc., and for all the gifts you've been given, if that makes any sense? So I think that one actually stems from the other. Yeah, definitely think respect and, and gratitude go hand in hand. Yeah, for sure. So on to the brain, brain, move on to yeah. the brain. So the research that I found on the brain. Um, so there's actually a lot of different ways that gratitude could in, impact the brain. But the first way that I found is. All the time. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And so the way that that relates to gratitude is basically researchers have found that gratitude actually leads to more gratitude, right? And it's, and it's like, and it's a habitual thing, but it's also, you know, it's kind of like gratitude's kind of like a muscle, like the more that you work it and, and literally like anatomically in the brain, that's what you are likely to find. Because I mean, if you see these outward things, you know, there's something deeper going on as you zoom in and that's what's theorized to happen in the brain as you practice gratitude more and more. All right, so now we just learned about um, how those connections are strengthened. Now I can, um, now we can fill you in on where in the brain those uh, connections are often strengthened. So there's a place in the brain called the anterior cingulate. And so what that place's job is, well, primary, primary function is, is to recognize other people's emotions, their emotional states. And so when one practices gratitude, they, they, in the brain, there's a study done that showed increased activity and growth in the anterior cingulate. And so what does that mean? That means practicing gratitude helps you become a, you could think of it as a better socialite, but in plain spoken terms, you become better at reading people's emotional states. Yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense, um, especially because as we're going to get into in, in 
uh, a few studies later on. Um, something like gratitude, which allows for, especially when we're talking about social bonding, uh, gratitude for another person that's right in front of you can release oxytocin. And that's something that strengthens social bonds. So whether it's, you know, directly or indirectly via oxyto oxytocin, gratitude is, you know, it can be, it can be powerful for strengthening relationships. Like I definitely, I definitely feel that like when I'm angry at somebody or, you know, when I just feel like I start to take someone for granted or something for granted, being grateful for something allows me to strengthen that bond to whatever that is and appreciate it more. Right. So even if you're not being grateful for a person or a thing, like a, say you're, you're, you're upset with, with a person, then you, but you experience gratitude in another part of your life. I've found that that bleeds into all other aspects. And I realized, damn, like I'm really not, like I didn't really appreciate my brother cleaning up after me for dinner or something or anything simple like that. Yeah. I guess you need to learn how to appreciate the little things as well. So the next topic I want to cover is sleep. So it's weird how, again, topic of interconnectedness, man, I swear, like every single interview, every single podcast that I do, I'm always going to try to touch on it. Cause I think it's super important to view the whole body as this interconnected system. The fact that Oh, gratitude doesn't just lead to you feeling a little better. It's like, no, that may impact your relationships. That may impact, you know, you taking part in more uh, healthier habits, like healthier eating, exercise habits, sleep. And so that's exactly what researchers found in this, these next few studies. So several review studies and meta-analyses suggest that gratitude can actually improve sleep in participants. And so although there are probably very various uh, mechanisms by which that happens. Um, one of them is through lowering cortisol levels. And actually one randomized control trial that I found studied the effects of gratitude on stress in pregnant women and showed very significant reductions in stress. I don't know about you guys, but when I'm appreciating things and I have that sense of peace, I don't feel stressed out. Yeah, same. And like while we're on this topic, I kind of want to talk about how sometimes gratitude can be a choice. I think we hit on it already a couple minutes ago, but first of all, before I started talking about this, I know that obviously depression disorders and anxiety disorders exist, but I think we live in a world now where a lot of us don't understand what we have and that gratitude can be a choice. And I think that fits in well to what, with what Ben just said. For example, like a lot of people like to make fun of the whole first world issues. And I think it's actually fairly applicable here. For example, like people get upset if they make a B and not an A. People get upset if the food at a restaurant doesn't taste too good. But people also fail to realize that you have food. You have food from a restaurant. Well, you get to go to school. You got a B. You earned a B in maybe a pretty hard class. And I think it's important for all of us to realize that gratitude can be a choice. Happiness, which is slightly different to gratitude, but I think we can agree that it's a fairly similar emotion, can be a choice in certain areas. Like sometimes we need to find the positive in life instead of the negative, if that makes sense, especially in the Western world. I think it's, um, 
yeah, part of it is definitely about mindset. Part of it is definitely, um, it's, it's a focus. Um, and if you turn that focus away from not having and um, feelings of things missing in your life, then inevitably you're going to become really good at finding things that you don't have. And you're going to become really good at feeling those feelings of not having enough. And so I think that, yeah, it, it really turns into, because we are, we are a habit, we are habitual creatures, right? The things that we do, we are likely to keep doing as long as they keep being a part of our daily life. And so if you make feelings of, I don't have enough of this, or, oh my God, this person has this and I don't have that, you know, that's going to become a part of your daily life. And that compounds. And on the other side, gratitude can compound as well. Yeah. And it comes back to what you're talking about earlier, Jorge. It's all about the neuroplasticity. So like if you keep on looking at the negatives in life, which are honestly not that negative, you'll keep on going towards it. Keep on thinking about it. Just like how you talked about with the neuroplasticity. Yeah, actually, we'll be sharing um, because I was, like it's it's easy to talk about theory and talk about all of this mental philosophy stuff, but it's hard to actually do and, and er, like make those feelings of gratitude actually naturally arise. Right. And that's what we're going to talk about at the end. Some very easy ways for you to get into that mindset, you know, rather than trying to force yourself, because that can be really tough. And honestly, like when I started doing it, it felt very uh, disingenuous. I didn't feel like it was you know, authentic. I was like, I'm just kind of saying it in my head or saying it out loud or writing it down just because, right. I didn't feel it, but, um, there are definitely some, some ways that can help out with that. Right. And the next one is how gratitude affects your heart and your heart health. Um, there is, there's a study done where they had participants participate in gratitude journals. And at the end, they found that the participants who were using those gratitude journals had lower levels of uh, A1C. And so what is A1C? That is an inflammatory protein associated with higher levels of heart disease and non-fatal heart attacks. So basically what, what A1C is, just to give a, a, a clearer picture of what that is for everyone, it's, it's, a, it's like a snapshot that is more substantive um, than blood glucose because blood glucose is what you get at one point in time, right? But A1C is more of like, how has your blood glucose been for the past few months? That's kind of what A1C is. So if your blood glucose has been high, that's not so good, right? And that A1C captures that in one biomarker. Yeah. So yeah, other than A1C, uh, something else that I found is that uh, gratitude improves sleep as we talked about, lower depressed mood, reduced fatigue, and led to lower inflammatory biomarkers as well as A1C, such as CRP, which we talked about earlier, uh, tumor necrosis factor, uh, interleukin-6, and a bunch of other ones. I wanna to interrupt today's episode by talking to you about Magnesium Breakthrough by Biooptimizers. The reason I think this magnesium really stands out from all the other ones because I've taken a whole laundry list of different magnesium forms and some of them have worked, kind of worked, and some of them have really not worked at all. Why is it important to get more forms of magnesium? Because 
Magnesium Breakthrough contains seven essential forms of magnesium in just one bottle. The reason for that is because your body actually requires different forms of the magnesium for different parts of the body and they can be used more efficiently if they're in that correct active form. Why do you even want more magnesium? Don't you think we get enough through the diet? Well, actually, probably not. There are actually more studies piling on that show that a large amount of the soils on which we grow our foods are actually depleted in many minerals, one of those being magnesium. So even if you don't consume too much processed food, you're eating a lot of nuts and seeds, you may still not be getting an adequate or optimal amount of magnesium. So this is the reason why I and my family have started to supplement for years. Now, not getting enough of this mineral can actually take a toll on virtually every part of your body, including your metabolic health, which we now know is inextricably tied to COVID severity and outcomes and immune health. It can take a toll on your body's ability to handle stress. Without adequate magnesium, your sleep may also suffer. The truth is, I really think that magnesium has played a big role in my mental health, my cognitive health, my ability to sleep profoundly, the duration of my sleep, and it has overall just allowed me to deal with stress better. It has allowed me to become more resilient to stress. So what the guys over at BioOptimizers have done is make their magnesium breakthrough 10% off. But not only that, if you buy between November 26th and Monday, November 30th, you're gonna get one free bottle of Masszymes, which is a super powerful digestive enzyme formula. Now, if you buy three bottles of Magnesium Breakthrough, you get not only a free bottle of the Masszymes digestive enzymes, but you also get their probiotic formula. So if you wanna reap these discounts, then check the link in the description. I also wanna introduce you to Thrive Market. If you haven't heard of Thrive Market, they're basically this online grocery store which provides all of these incredible, delicious health foods at a fraction of the price that you'd find in your physical health food store near you. And the best part is they're delivered right to your door. Now, because you're listening to this amazing podcast, you're gonna be getting a $24 in-store credit, and you will also be getting 30% off your entire order on Thrive Market. So if you're interested and you want high quality ingredients for this holiday season, or you wanna get some healthy stocking stuffers without breaking your New Year's resolution before it starts, without breaking the bank, and without sacrificing flavor, then click the link in the description. Let's talk about, um, very generally, the epigenome. So um, pretty much everyone is well aware that we have genes, we have DNA, and they're present in every single cell in our bodies. So why then does a cell in your intestinal lining not look like an eye? Why does a, you know, a cell in your cheek not look like you know, your fingernails? Well, the thing is the DNA is exactly the same, but different genes are turned on, different genes are turned off. And that is what the epigenome or above the genome is. So I didn't really cite any specific studies and i'm not really going to reference any specific studies but what we do know is things like hormones like uh, cortisol or neuropeptides like oxytocin neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin can do exactly that they can turn on or off certain genes leading to a whole bunch of cascading effects throughout the body so it's not just these local effects that you get right from all those things we talked about it's 
literally genes are being turned turned on or off, which are literally changing the conformation of cells and the way that our cells can function. So what you're basically telling me, Jorge, is that based on which hormones we can release or figure out to release or if it happens naturally, we could actually change the way our genes are expressed. Exactly. Exactly. And if so, I think maybe part of the reason why there are few studies which show like very, very profound effects from like, you know, a few hours of meditation is because like, you know, it might take a little longer for those genes to actually like be fully expressed and, you know, to get that longer lasting effect. Um, because, you know, there are some epigenetic switches that you can see like very quickly that turn on pretty quickly, but there are other ones that do take longer for them to show up and, and you know, have a very significant uh, impact right away. So, um, I remember from one of our previous podcasts, we talked about the actions of the mother can actually affect how the child turns out. So it would be interesting to look into the level, like whether or not the mother shows gratitude and the different hormones that she produces, if that would affect the epigenetics of the child as well. Yeah, actually, that's a, so that's a subfield within epigenetics called translational epigenetics. And that's basically the, um, you know, the study of how exactly what you said, your lifestyle habits don't only affect you, your lifestyle habits go on and affect your child and even your child's child, which is incredible because that was once theorized to be like crazy woo woo science, but it's, it's the truth. So I guess what you're telling me is that if I'm grateful right now, potentially it could help my grandchild. <laughs> it might. I, I don't know at this point. It's all theory. But like, yeah, I, I don't see why that's that's a far out concept. Like might help your grandchild to be more predisposed to, you know, um, being more grateful or being more sensitive to to gratitude and things in their environment that they can be grateful for. I don't see why that could be. Yeah, I don't see why not. That's a beautiful concept. You know, over time, we would have to practice it enough for it to be deeply ingrained and for those pathways to be cemented. Obviously, that's like conjecture at this point. But given the fact that things like, uh, you know, alcohol um, and alcohol abuse and drug abuse have been shown to have lasting marks on children and even things like cold submersion, which is amazing. Um, I don't see why not. I don't see like why something like emotion could not also mold the brain of offspring. Yeah, especially if you're actually releasing these hormones in vast quantities that basically has the same effects as drugs. Right, I think if you, as Ben said, if you do them long enough, you know, sufficient practice. Speaking of practice, uh, the next thing that um, gratitude helps with or that can affect is your behavior. So as we spoke about earlier and also just a few seconds ago, it will increase um, activity and expression in certain areas of the brain, the anterior cingulate being one of them. So now if you remember that was the area of the brain associated with uh, emotional reading of other people. And so emotional reading can help you with, can help you with 
being a nicer person. It doesn't necessarily make you a nicer person, but when combined with those positive emotions and feelings that also come with gratitude, it's, um, I think it's safe to say that in most cases, unless you just really don't want to be a nice person, it's going to make you um, more pleasant to be around and, and kinder. So, and then, I guess like, since you're saying that potentially it might not make you a nicer person, I guess you can say it gives you a certain EQ, an emotional or an emotional skill set, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And then secondly, um, because you have that increased awareness of yourself from, uh, potentially higher conscientiousness and knowing how your actions affect others you and what how your actions look and you have more of awareness of yourself oftentimes i know i've found this to be the case you'll take care, better care of yourself because you have that appreciation you really appreciate your existence and existence in general your your body and your health and what it means to be in good health and what bad health feels like. Practicing gratitude can make you a healthier person. Or hey, you are on mute. I was muted. Yep. So the final one I wanted to touch on was uh, social bonding. So again, we kind of touched on that earlier. But um, gratitude, like I, I felt it in myself, like when I'm especially when you're with someone and, and you do this, like with them, it can be it can be pretty it can be pretty strong, strong feelings of, of emotion and love that you, you start to feel. And um, so not to get all lovey-dovey here, but um, basically from, from what this study found, um, those hormones like oxytocin can be incredibly important to strengthen relationships. And they actually, so what this study did was actually kind of um, not what I was expecting when I was looking into the study. They actually looked at certain um, certain genes and I think polymorphisms to see if there was any you know correlation with certain genes that you had for for oxytocin and you know your ability to have a a profound like social bond. But what they did found regardless of that was that oxytocin was very important to improve social bonding and gratitude was a very big piece of that that released that oxytocin. So be freaking grateful for your parents, your friends, your significant other, because it's important. Agreed. All right. So I think, Ben, I, I've talked to, to you about this, um, and we usually like to get into more of like the evolutionary perspective of sides, like whenever we really talk about anything. Mm -hmm. So like, why, yeah, why would we even have this mechanism for gratitude? Right. So while I was thinking about it in my own head and also doing research online for gratitude, the thought popped into my head, like, why does this emotion exist? What's, what purpose does being grateful for something serve, you know? Why, why would gratitude, again, to talk, to touch on this concept of interconnectedness, why would gratitude have so many pervasive 
and cascading effects throughout the human body. You know, does it, does it signal that things in your environment are well and good and therefore you should respond in a positive way? Uh, does it mean that, that you're more fit because, you know, you can perceive things in a more positive way? I don't, um, does it allow, and this is the one where I think holds the most weight, does it allow for better relationships between and among humans? That's something Louis touched on actually last uh, on a last podcast or two podcasts ago when, when he said like, you know, that was a huge piece of our lives. You know, we had to have social bonds with people in order to survive, right? Like hunting and things like that. He stole the words out of my mouth. Yeah. The, the point was that back, back thousands of years ago or centuries ago and up until today, people have noticed that human beings are social animals. So I guess to try to add to your point, Ben, I can envision gratitude being a mechanism in which if you have it, it allows you to become more social with your group. And if you're more social with your group and you have better relationships with your group, you're obviously going to thrive more because you could hunt and kill better. You can farm better. You could just be happier in general. And that leaves, le leads to better survival of the group. Right. So that, that explains um, gratitude for an, a personal level, like a, on a relationship, on a level of relationships with other people saying, okay, um, this person did something nice for me or, and, and, they, and I didn't earn it. Therefore, I now have this feeling towards them, like this, this connection towards them. And I can see how that can be beneficial because if you don't, if you're just like, okay, cool, I'll take that. And you know, you don't form that social connection with them, then you're missing out on building what we would now call a friend, but perhaps thousands of years ago would be a partner, somebody who wouldn't steal your food the next time they saw you, you know, you now have a good relationship with them. It could, it could have literally been a matter of life and death a couple thousand years ago for right. those close bonds. I have the question of why do we have, why do we get that same feeling? Or at least we have the same word, appreciation, gratitude, thankfulness, those, those three words, we can still apply them to things that are not given from other people, things that are not earned, yet we still receive like the sun on our face on a cool day or the opposite, a cool breeze on a hot day, the sound of crickets on a summer night. Like those are all things that we can be grateful for, thankful for our, our environment, not having pollution, the leaves on the trees, having beauty, all of those things can bring, bring about a sense of awe and, and you can be grateful for that. Why would that, what, what is the purpose of that evolutionarily? Do you, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Go ahead, Luis. I think one potential thought is that in order to keep the human species going, I guess we have to figure, we had to evolve in a way that kept us happy because if we were not happy and since humans, I know it's, it's kind of, it's kind of far out there, but like if humans are, are not happy, then they don't have a point to live. And then if we don't have a point to live, 
Why are we going to procreate? Why are we going to extend our genes to the next generation? So I think it could have come about naturally, potentially through natural selection that, that the happier people decided they wanted to live longer. I don't know. Does gratefulness bring about a sense of purpose, like as a human, like a sense that you're on, like everything is good. You're on the right path, you know, that's that's exactly what i'm getting towards ben that's what i'm trying to say yes and a lack of that feeling brings about a sense of agitation things aren't how they should be and you know and not appreciating existence leads to more negative emotion jorge yeah so one thought i had on that immediately once i i i heard you say like are we wired to be innately grateful for our existence i just thought like go back even further than that like like go back to a deeper why like why are things the way that they are right usually when someone asks asks that question like a scientist they give you just the mechanism they actually just give you the how they don't give you the why and then you go back deeper and you go back deeper and you go back deeper and you eventually can't find the answer right and the way that it ties into this is like, why are positive emotions, why are positive things the things that make us healthy? Why is it designed that way? Why is this designed the way that it is? Like, why is, is something like, you know, like, I, I think it goes back even deeper. It goes even deeper than just, you know, it kept us alive and things like that. Why? Why is it that it was created in that way? Why is it that this design is even the way that it is at all? Why are social bonds important at all? Why, why isn't it that, you know, social bonds aren't important and everyone can just fend for themselves? Why, why isn't it that way? And to me, that's fascinating because it, it kind of shows me that there are some things that whatever creator universe, you know, designed this to be like favored certain things. It favored certain habits it favored certain outcomes and to me that's mind-blowing and it gets us even closer to what i think could be you know the yeah that like creator that whatever we originated from that that purpose maybe it gets us closer to that yeah and just adding to exactly what you just said jorge i think that potentially human beings were not designed to be alone we are designed to be together and accomplish things together. And I think that gratefulness and those emotions were directly designed to bring human beings together to accomplish more things or just to survive. Right. But again, like, why? Like, why is it that way that it makes us survive? Like, like once you, you see like how we get even deeper and it's like, why aren't negative feelings associated with closer connection? And why aren't negative emotions associated with living longer? You know, we start to get into like, like, why? Why isn't it that way that, you know, anger or chronic stress makes you healthy? Like, why isn't it that way? Right. So why doesn't the, why doesn't the feel like, so say you have the feeling of anger, the feeling of of this this righteous indignation against someone or something that you feel wronged you i'm sure everyone has felt that at some point in their life where you're just like how could like how dare you and you, you get that feeling 
all right why is it that that feeling leads to negative cons biological consequences within your body has negative pervasive and cascading effects biologically sh like short term and long term why aren't those effects positive when you were when you were saying this earlier you're saying you know why are positive things associated with good health and i'm and i'm easily and i, I instantly thought well i think we're looking at it the wrong way i think good health is associated with positive things you know like we like things that are good for our health are going to bring about positive emotion right but not necessarily like yep and then um you know we get into why you know again we touched on this a little earlier but why do people struggle to do this right it should seem that in first world nations we should be grateful for everything that we have i mean we live a life of luxury that was unimaginable to people even a few hundred years ago right like even those of lower socioeconomic status have wealth that was you know pretty unimaginable to people that like not even that far back into into history so why do people struggle with it why why does it feel like it's insincere even when you know that you quote unquote should be thankful right and like the people who struggle with it the most you know actually maybe the people who benefit most from it like like something like uh like exercise for example or nutrition if your nutrition is really bad then you know when you do switch to a much better diet you'll see like astounding results because your diet was so bad, right? It's a similar that's, concept. Right, that's one thing we see in these studies on vegan and vegetarian diets. They'll switch people to, to these diets and claim that it's a miracle. You've lowered all of these, these markers associated with chronic disease. Well, bro, what were you doing before this? And not only that, any like with gratitude, when you implement something, a positive change into your life, that often spills over into other areas of their life. Did you control for their attitudes? Did you control for them exercising on their own? Did you control for their sleep habits improving after switching on these diets? Like, say they feel a little bit better because they stopped, they stopped eating like trash. Literally just stopping eating the bad food is good enough. But then they started eating a little bit better and that all just spills over so it, yeah yeah it's like it's like when you I'm take not, someone from the standard yeah. american diet like eating kfc every night and then let's say you have two groups eating the same kfc crap and then sorry kfc it's just what popped into my head so you take those two groups and you you put them you put one into plant-based or, or, or vegan right and oh my god all these biomarkers in, improved headlines read vegan is a must do diet, you know, whatever. And then you take the ketogenic diet, you put that same, you know, group of people eating those same fried, crispy, vegetable oil ridden pieces of chicken, and you move them onto a ketogenic diet, which is, you know, avocado oil, olive oil, um, you know, some grass fed ghee, ghee and butter. And um, you also see an improvement. And you're like, like, wait a minute, they're also eating meat, they're eating a lot of fat, whereas the vegan group is barely eating any fat, and they're eating a bunch of fiber, right? And that's, that's where this incredible divide comes in in the world of nutrition, because both people saw an improvement, and they both battle with these studies, where it's like, dude, it's like, 
they both improved their diet. What do you expect? They had a crappy diet and they moved to a different one that was more whole foods based. That's actually a really interesting perspective because you've gone from eating whatever you want and absolutely shitty, but then you go to a controlled diet where you're not eating shitty anymore. And I think it's, as you said, it's going from an uncontrolled environment to controlled environment where you weed out all the crappy stuff and you, yeah, exactly. It's not necessarily what you're eating. It's what you're omitting probably. Right. And not, and you brought brought up a great point. There's the discipline factor too, of having to stick to that diet that will spill over into other areas of their life. Like, like what we, what we talked about earlier, having to stick to that diet and commit to it for the purpose of the study also may inform, may allow for discipline in other areas of their life as well. So that was a great, um, that was a great little rabbit hole there. And I, we'd love to go into that in, uh, in a, in a couple other podcasts, cause we could do many, many podcasts on, on those aspects of nutrition and why, why they exist. Absolutely. For those of you who feel like gratitude does not come easy to you. And I, I feel you there, you know, sometimes, sometimes that that's really me, you know, you might be cynical, it might feel insincere and you might be like doubting everything that we're saying right now. But as soon as you feel yourself, so here's some simple things you can do to be genuinely grateful to, to express genuine appreciation and gratitude for people, places, things, objects, animals, experiences. You know, I'd say the first thing, like straight off the bat, you know, is if you ever feel yourself wanting to say thank you to somebody for something, let yourself say thank you. It's not, it's not a mark against your pride. It's not, you're not going to owe somebody something. Just leave it at, Hey, thank you. Like, I really appreciate that. Not like, not the, not the appreciate you, bro. Like, just, like, let it be genuine, you know? Or not just like a little, like head nod, like, yep. You know, like, I, yeah. Or, or, you know, like even, even though your welcome part is important too, I think. And that's where like, like, especially when we move here from Mexico and, you know, there it's always like customary to say like, you know, thank you. And, and, and you're welcome, you know, but here it's thank you. And you get a bunch of different responses like, yep. Or no problem. And when my parents first heard that, they were like, no problem. Like, yeah, I didn't really expect it to be a problem. What, what are you talking about? Right. And I think like this, this, uh, this is super cliche, but I think that it, but there are studies, there are studies backing this as well um, on volunteering and like just giving for the sake of giving, whether it be your time, whether it be money, whether it be, you know, whatever. But uh, for me, I really think it would be most um, impactful if you gave your time. That's something that you have a limited amount of time. Well, yeah, you know, you're here for a certain amount of time and you don't know how long that is. But if you're choosing to give something that is precious resource like time and you're not getting anything from it you know monetarily or something like that that's really immediate and you know you see it 
that can be really that can be really important like really volunteering and just giving your time without expecting anything return i think just can be pretty powerful in itself why do you think that is why does volunteering your own time help with a sense of gratitude because i think that doing just for the sake of do it takes you back to the process it keeps you grounded in process it doesn't it's not outcome based and that's where i think the magic happens i it gives you a sense of perspective right it's more like i'm not doing this for a goal i'm doing it to do it and that that is really why you have have so many people especially in the world of sports psychology that are saying trust the process enjoy the process because when you do that there's so much stress that's taken off your shoulders it's not i want to accomplish this goal gold medal it's i love every single step that i'm taking i love every single weight that i'm lifting you know and when you do that it's i mean it's it's immediately you feel that like when you let go of something that is not real and sure yeah goals are good but perspective is important so letting go of outcome that in itself i think is important can I agree with you more, brother? <laughs> so now practical ways, right? Because we've been talking a lot. So the one that I found to be very, very important to me is journaling in the mornings. Uh, I mean, you can do it at night too, but uh, I've been doing it in the mornings. Keep the journal right next to your bed, right? Buy it yourself a journal. Keep it right next to your bed because as soon as you wake up, it's not like, oh, it's too far away. Oh, I'm not just not going to do it today. No, it's right there. Go and do it. You know, wake up and do it. Right. And those first few weeks might be tough because you're used to getting up and like, oh, my problems, oh, my life. And you're not used to doing something other than that, which is journaling, which takes you. Yeah, it'll take you like five, 10 minutes. But that's really no big deal, to be honest. Like, I feel like a lot of people probably waste a lot of time in the mornings anyway. And like me being one of them sometimes um, because you're just trying to wake yourself up. Right. But if you if you do this, if you get a journal out, wake up go and write down, do this specific process. So specifically what and who you're grateful for. I think I've been doing where I just list a bunch of things, but I've noticed that that's not really that, you know, it's not as helpful as maybe picking one thing and really saying, okay, what or who am I grateful for? Why am I grateful for them? And what would life be like without them? That third one hits because that third one makes you feel awful and then you realize oh wait they are still here well wow, that's that was profound <laughs> yeah you know often like I, I used to think like how could i be grateful without thinking about lack because to me it's fake gratitude if you think i have water a kid in Africa doesn't have water, you know, because that's like the common cliche that you hear people say, right? Like think about people or, or even like your parents. Oh, like think about those people in whatever disadvantaged country, um, you know, they would kill for that food that you just had. Like, why am I going to compare myself to them? I'm not them. I, 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 you know, I'm, yeah, I'm privileged. And, uh, you know, I didn't choose that. And uh, again, I, I, I think that, there's a piece to that, that, that is important, but maybe it's not like comparing other, comparing yourself to disadvantaged people. I think it's more like 
thinking about what your life would be like without it rather than what somebody else doesn't have and what you have, if that makes sense. It makes absolutely, it completely makes sense. And just to add to that, what I have been actually doing recently is that when I wake up, I think about the opportunity I have to do certain things. For example, when I wake up, I'm like, wow, I really have the opportunity to not have to worry about too much. So I, I guess not everyone can do that, but if you do have something like that, be grateful for it because it might not last forever or it can last forever and just live in the moment and be happy that you have the opportunity to do it. And just real quick here, just like think of the small things, just really, if you can't think of anything, then just really start with what are you, look at yourself in that moment right now. What do I have right now? Like, what do I have right? I have clothes. I have nice clothes. I have fresh air that I can breathe right now. I have health. You know, I have a bed to sleep on. I have food to eat, water to drink. You know, all of that little, those tiny things that you don't even like think about usually. Also, the reason I do it in the morning is because uh, it primes you to be like just a little bit more positive throughout the day. Because if you start your day with like, you know, focusing your attention on the things that matter and uh, you're grateful for, then um, you're going to probably be more likely to see those things throughout your day as you go about them. That is huge. Actually, like, please do not underestimate how the how impactful the beginning of your day is on the rest of your day. Starting your day off with positive thoughts and some movement is so impactful on getting your body started you know you might it might be like absolute hell to have to try and get your body moving and you might be so grouchy that your alarm woke you up in the morning and breaking that cycle may be very challenging but if you can manage to do it if you can do it and i think i think many of you out there can do that you will find you might not you might not notice it because it's sneaky it's sneaky and that's that's why that's how it works it, it sneaks into your subconscious your view of everything but you will find that you will have better days and there was a while where i was going on and i was like why am i having so many good days and i realized i was like every morning i was waking up and i was writing down like like what what i'm gonna do today like what i'm gonna get done what I'm happy about, like what made me happy the day before. And in that, and in that process, like I wasn't doing that to try and have good days. I was just doing that because somebody online told me to, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll try that. Like I'm not getting a lot of stuff done right now. So I'm going to click how to make your day like more efficient. And so I started doing that and, and I realized like that was also making me um, have more experience, more positive emotion throughout my day little anecdote yeah so in terms of thanksgiving now be so i've noticed that first of all there's a gut brain connection that i think that uh is important to that that's very understated and underestimated like the way that your your brain if you're like super stressed out right and you just go straight into a meal mm, 
not going to be such a great meal in terms of, you know, your enjoyment of it in terms of your digestion of it. And actually like I found that whenever I am stressed and when I'm in a bad mood, one, like the food may not even taste all that good Two, like maybe feel kind of bloated. Uh, like the digestion just won't, just won't be, you know, it won't hit like that meal just won't be as, as a uh, fulfilling. And so going into Thanksgiving, just like, just try it. Like really before, before you sit down and you just like start like choking down everything, just like breathe and sit for a second and, and appreciate what you have. And every single, and by the way, uh, there's a book that I would very much recommend about this topic called the yoga of eating by Charles Eisenstein. Pretty amazing perspective on, uh, enjoyment of your food and, and the reason why, you know, many people like may overeat or undereat, whatever, but it's a cool perspective. Basically just like enjoy every single bite of food. And, and part of his main tenets are, you know, you might overconsume food because it's a replacement for some other part of life that isn't fulfilling, but how can we maximize the enjoyment of food? A big part of that I think is gratitude. Wait, before we end, can I just read a quote or two that I think can sum up a lot of what we talked about? Pick the best one. All right, the best one is also the shortest one. So this quote is by William Arthur Ward, and he was a famous poet in the mid-1900s. And he says, gratitude can transform common days into thanksgivings, turn routine jobs into joy, and change ordinary opportunities into blessings. I also have a quote. It's it's from, you might know the guy. Uh, it goes like this. It's a uh, rack city, rack, rack city. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the, really the most important part right there. That's all you need to focus on. The rest is extraneous. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Yes. Happy Thanksgiving. So for those of you who don't know the reference to that song that Ben was referring to, you're probably better off. The final thing I want to say about gratitude is that I know it can be incredibly tough right now to find something to be grateful for. Depending on how hard your family was hit by the economy taking a nosedive, then I know it can be even harder. And what I hope that you do have still is running water, clothes, some food, some contact to family and friends, whether even if it's a phone call or a virtual call, looking for the small things still can be very, very valuable. Now, if you enjoyed this episode and you've enjoyed some of my other episodes, it would be very, very helpful to me if you could share this with your loved ones, share this with your family and friends, and give this a review on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Navigating the world of health and wellness is anything but straightforward. So if you're a little bit confused as to you know, what things are harmful, is this food good, is this food bad? Well, spoiler alert, it's not that simple. However, I and many others have done the heavy lifting. So I put together a book called Return to Human, how modern medicine, the media, and the mundane have destroyed our immune systems and how to move back towards optimal health. The full version is available on Amazon. Now it's around 70 or 80 pages, and so it's really a simple guidebook that you can use and an introduction to all of the major aspects of health, which is why I think it's so helpful for people who are kind of confused and lost. Here's what I cover. I cover the top six aspects of health, which 
if compounded, if combined together, and all of these things are done properly, then you can have amazing effect on your overall health. Because, you know, unlike what many health gurus claim, one thing will not make a healthy person. Multiple things will give you a 1%, a 2%, even a 10% if you're lucky, increase in your overall quality of life. Now that's what I set out to do when I wrote this book. So I cover those top six. I tell you very, very simple things that one, damage your immune health and your overall health. Two, how you can do the appropriate thing based on research, right? And it's not a medical recommendation. Of course, I want you to do your own research. You are responsible for you, but it's a great starting point if you're a little bit confused. Now, I understand that right now you may not want to dish out a few dollars, even though it is $3 right now on Amazon. That's okay. Because mindset is inextricably tied to your immune health, so your emotional state, your mindset, all of that directly affects how your immune system functions in response to a virus or bacterial infection and so forth. So I made that chapter 100% free for you to download. It gives you some very simple tools that you can use to reduce stress, to calm the nervous system, all in a way that's free or very, very affordable. Now, if you want that, you can click the link in the description, which says free download to chapter two, or simply head over to livedamwell.com. I hope you check it out. I hope it helps, and I'll see you in the next episode.